This is the 323 with Reed Murphy, presented by 323 Entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 323. I'm your host, Reed Murphy. This is the intro music that will always put a smile on the faces of Anthony Martinez and Lance McRib Sullivan. My apologies for a delay in this episode. Been dealing with, you know, trying to get schoolwork done, get this done, all this other stuff. There'll probably be a little bit more of a delay with a trip to LA coming up, but hopefully some good material coming from it. The F9 episode will be released to Spotify for you in the meantime. And with that delay, today is going to be nothing but takes and news. A fun special top five honoring the great Bobby Bonilla. We got plenty for you folks. But first, breaking news. Yes, we're following breaking news. As the world continues to try and attempt to get back to normal following the COVID-19 pandemic, concerns continue regarding new variants of the virus and quota concerns over the country reaching the mark for vaccination. But, according to NBC10 Philadelphia, yes, Of course, it's Philadelphia. We may finally be out. Not may, actually. We're officially done with the pandemic. This, according to a man interviewed by NBC10 Philadelphia at a Flo Rida concert. Over to you. My name's John. I'm from Bridesburg. I, I've been waiting for a Flow Rider concert this entire pandemic. I knew the pandemic would be over when Flow Rider took the stage. I'm ready. Are you guys ready? Hit like and subscribe. Flow Rider's coming. Yeah! Yes, I can. Down for the leave. I'm running with this plan. Pull me, grab me, grab in the fucking can't have me. I'll be the president one day. Jam every first. Oh, yeah. You heard it right from John from Bridesburg. This pandemic is over. Get the shot. Give me the shot. Ah. It's all over. And we have nobody to thank but Flo Rida. Or I'm sorry, John, it's Flo Rider. Thank you, Flo Rida. The pandemic is over. And you, as our pandemic groundhog, have shown us this. We love you, Flo.
After a year away, the Major League Baseball Home Run Derby is back. And it's really like it actually never left because the previous winner, New York Mets first baseman Pete Alonso, came back and won it again. Second consecutive event for him. The Polar Bear beat Baltimore Orioles first baseman Trey Mancini, just edging him out in a super exciting event in front of a super hyped up crowd at Coors Field in Denver, Colorado. The whole event, which I really believe is possibly the most exciting event that's not like a championship thing, it's the most exciting event in sports year in and year out, especially when it comes to all-star stuff. This year was full of excitement could not deny it you had pete alonzo just vibing the mob deep the entire time enjoying the hell out of it you had trey mancini who is an incredible story coming back from missing the entire 2020 season undergoing chemotherapy treatments after being diagnosed with colon cancer He came in tonight, upset everybody through the rounds, and just lost out to Pete. Most exciting part of the night, honestly, though, had to be the premier bout between Juan Soto, my guy, of the Washington Nationals, and what many call the second coming of Babe Ruth, Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels. Two of them went at it in the first round, knocking balls 500 plus feet, I believe about 10 damn times. The bout between the two of them ended up going into two tiebreakers. The first round would just not end because of them. Juan Soto ultimately beat out Otani because that's what DC does. And unfortunately, it was probably a death sentence to Soto or Otani if Otani had won. No matter what, it was a killer for whoever was going to the second round. They were worn out by the end of that first round in that double tiebreaker. But the most important part of that is Juan Soto hit the longest home run of the night, possibly the longest ever in the history of the Derby. 520 feet and winning me that particular bet on DraftKings I also happened to pick Pete Alonzo to win the whole thing but I'm not here to brag about it this was just a fun night and we have to talk about that that it's just a fun night and not that I won extra big on DraftKings (laughs) congrats polar bear This is your 323 hockey update, eh? The Tampa Bay Lightning have won the Stanley Cup for the second year in a row, beating the Montreal Canadiens in a 4-1 series win. Okay, so I can't shit on hockey that much and just leave it right there with the announcement of the winner. The Tampa Bay Lightning are 
for all the criticism that's very warranted when it comes to possibly cheating the salary cap actually not possibly they were cheating the salary cap they were 18.5 million dollars over the salary cap hiding their star player Kucherov until the Stanley Cup playoffs and just being general dirty assholes the Lightning are a fun team they earn their victory it's their second in a row and now the thing that's incredibly enjoyable to me about it as much as I can complain about it with some things it's swag swag and knowing how good you are it's hard not to enjoy it can annoy the hell out of you but it's still fun to watch and the Tampa Bay Lightning have embraced the hell out of it you got to imagine that it's enraging Canada that the new hub of hockey in the world is Tampa Florida the host of hockey were kicking Canada's ass using Tampa Florida and these lightning players go out they go out and celebrate on the water just like the Buccaneers did earlier in the year this is the third championship that the city of Tampa has gotten in a year by the way the lightning go out they celebrate, they're partying, they're wearing shirts saying 18.5 million over the cap. They're talking about how nobody can beat them. They're telling everybody, shove it up your ass. We are dirty. We're going to fuck you up. We're going to win it anyway. You can't do anything about it. They dented the hell out of the trophy, pretty much drowning in beer. It is wonderful. A literal lightning storm starts during their celebration. Some people evacuate. Camera crews are smart to get out of there. What are the players doing? Hell no. We're going to fucking slide through the rain. We're the Tampa Bay Lightning. Lightning isn't going to kill us. Hold that trophy up higher, man. They're a bunch of assholes. I love it. If I, mm, if I wasn't a Caps fan and the Caps weren't all... If the Caps were on like the level of the freaking Wizards... I would have to think about the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'd have to think about it. Congrats to them. Awesome victory. Awesome victory lap. Can we start to wonder if Conor McGregor is washed? Is that okay to ask out loud? UFC 264 just happened over this past weekend. And what an event it actually was. A lot of great fights on the card all building up to the hyped up rubber match bout between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Now, all this hype goes into it through the week, you know, the usual, I'm gonna kill you. McGregor tells Poirier, you're gonna leave this thing in a stretcher. And then McGregor leaves the fight on a stretcher. How does that work? Karma is how it works, because Connor is nothing but mouth anymore. He's always been pure mouth, but at least he had exciting skill. He had incredible wins over his career, but I really think things started to take a turn after his boxing debut against Floyd Mayweather, and he made real money. Money that Dana White in the UFC wasn't stealing from him. But the real excitement of this fight didn't even happen during the match which ended pretty anticlimactically and unfortunately 
with McGregor having a pretty gruesome ankle injury, which honestly I think was probably the best thing for McGregor in that fight. He was going to get demolished by Poirier, but now because it went this way, probably got a rematch coming up. That will probably be McGregor's next fight, trying to redeem himself again. But all the excitement, you can forget that bum-ass Greg Hardy, formerly of the NFL, expelled after being one of the greatest assholes the league has ever seen, comes into his first big pay-per-view fight, gets knocked the hell out in the first round. No, you take it to McGregor Poirier, fight ends pretty quickly with an injury, doctor stoppage, and then the fireworks start. Poirier, not really caring. He's going to take those victory laps. He's feeling good about it. Fuck McGregor. That's all he's thinking about. McGregor stays on the floor, has them come down and sit on the floor with him to talk to him, and he's just yelling, screaming all his Irish gibberish and shit, talking shit to Poirier, telling him, I'm going to fuck your wife because she's in my DMs. It's not stopping. His wife is right there by the cage, giving him the double bird. And then what Poirier takes exception to is McGregor telling him that I'm going to kill you. All the wife stuff, that's cool. You know, whatever, talk your stuff. You're going to kill me? That's supposed to happen in the ring. Not outside, asshole. We'll see what the future holds for Conor McGregor. He will for sure get another fight. He will for sure continue to bring in money because we continue to fall sucker to it. I included. I will always try to go or find a bar that's playing his fights. Won't buy them myself, actually, but still want to see the dude because he hypes you up. He's going to continue to do this, but if he has another bout against Poirier, doesn't have a doctor stoppage for him, and let's say he just gets the hell beat out of him like it looked like it might happen this past fight, then are we going to start talking about the end for Conor McGregor? We'll find out. A quick shout out to the awesome Zalia Avant-Garde from New Orleans, Louisiana, who just won the 2021 Scripps National Spelling Bee. Avant-Garde becomes the first black winner in the 96-year history of the Spelling Bee. The awesome aspect of Avant-Garde, because the Spelling Bee generally, I find riveting every year anyway. I was always like top five, top three of like any spelling bee competition that we would do in elementary school, middle school. Always thought I could do it. And then I watch it on TV and see some of those words and nah, nah. But this girl is not just a badass speller, but it's more like a hobby for her. She comes in, wins this whole thing kind of like a hobby because she is a very well-known basketball prodigy. And I advise you to look up clips of her. I will post some on the 323's Twitter and Facebook pages at the at 323read. She's even appeared in commercials with Steph Curry in years past. She has handles like a pro. 
She is a monster. She is a badass. She is awesome. Congrats to her. I think that is one of the coolest stories of the past couple weeks. There is so much to dive into when it comes to the Washington football team. The team I unfortunately call my favorite. You have the reports finally coming in from the investigation done on the team's incredibly toxic and disgusting culture that they had set for years under the Dan Snyder regime that involved harassing and bullying women of the organization, cheerleaders, so many disgusting and lewd acts, and something that many fans hoped might finally get Dan Snyder away from the team. Maybe the league will finally strip this thing from that terrible, shitty owner. But what does Dan do? Dan does what Dan does best. Run and manipulate shit. And he started it that week by putting his wife in as the new co-CEO of the team, basically making her the new face of the team. Now, Tanya Snyder is, in all fairness, seems to be a wonderful person. She helped start the NFL's uh, Go Pink initiative to combat breast cancer and eventually evolved that into the NFL's fight for cancer research and prevention. However, this move by Dan really just seemed like a stutter step to make sure that this team will remain with his family and with him close by. Hopefully, Tanya will do things right and will be good for the organization in a more prominent role, especially if it keeps Dan the hell away from everything. Things already seem to be on the right track with Ron Rivera taking over last year. Getting Bruce Allen the hell out of there and plenty of the other toxic people that were part of the organization like commentator Larry Michael, who probably should be in jail. Putting Julie Donaldson in charge of all of the team's media. Getting a brand new social media team that has been maybe one of the best in sports. Getting a lot more female representation in general throughout the team, throughout the organization, throughout the coaching staff. And then finally getting rid of that horribly racist name. Which, I mean, even growing up on it, I knew it wasn't right. Redskins, that's a terrible name for a team and something that did not make sense to make it even through the 20th century let alone into 2020. And as it turned out, Washington football team, as much as you can make fun of it, is actually a pretty cool, unique, badass name. It's not looking like it will stay, but I don't mind it. At least for one more season until they unveil the brand new name. So far, team president Jason Wright, who replaced Bruce Allen, already been so much better he's eliminated the name Warriors saying that the team will try not to have any link 
to Native American heritage and culture, which is probably for the best. It's time to start brand new, time to start fresh, time to start away from controversy and racist imagery. And there's still the possibility that we'll get a badass name like Red Wolves. I've been calling for Red Wolves. And then we discovered that a potential name is Demon Cats. The Washington Demon Cats. Washington, D.C. How, how? That's the kind of crazy shit that you want. I would love to root for a team called the Demon Cats. Love it. But ultimately, as all this change is going on, the team can never escape its controversy and its shit past. You have one report come out this week stating that in 2006, the then Washington Redskins were caught selling expired peanuts at FedEx Field from Independence Air, an airline company that had gone out of business and had not sent any new peanut shipments in almost a year. Washington blamed the expired peanuts on an inventory mistake. No matter what they do, no matter all the PR stuff that they try to do, putting Tanya Snyder in as the new co-CEO, making Jason Wright the new team president, start screaming about what the new team name will be, we're going to get a reality show going about it. That organization, as long as Dan Snyder is in charge, will never escape its shit. And it shouldn't. He has been an awful owner. The only true way for that organization to really start anew and make amends for the shit that it's caused over the course of two decades, my whole, really my whole lifetime, is to get rid of Dan Snyder. The team will never do that. He has, in fact, managed to become even more powerful by buying out his minority owners over the last year and becoming the sole owner of the organization. So it doesn't give you too much hope. The league itself doesn't give you too much hope after seeing all the reports and a full investigation into the horrible, abusive, toxic behavior of the culture and slapping them with a... $10 million fine. $10 million for a franchise that is worth $3.2 billion, at least, before the new rights deals are all set in. And it's a problem with the NFL itself. It's a problem throughout sports. The NBA does decently with it. They're getting better by continuing to partner more with the WNBA and push all of them up. But one of the biggest problems in sports has been how these leagues treat and care about women. You have situations like this pop up all the time. What happens to the owners? What happens to the people in charge? They just find a scapegoat and move on. You get measly little fines. You can say 10 million is a lot, but it's not really that much compared to 3.2 billion plus. You have players getting accused of malicious and awful acts, maybe getting a settlement and getting out of these cases 
You can look to Ben Roethlisberger's past. You can look to what's happening currently with Deshaun Watson having an almost Cosby-level amount of accusers come forward about sexual assault and harassment with him. And more than likely, I see him settling, getting suspended like six games. He will miss all of this season because the court case is going to take so long. But he'll get suspended ultimately for like six games, traded from the Houston Texans to somebody, probably Philly, and get to move on and have an illustrious career and people will just forget. They will just not care. At least that fan base will not care as long as he's winning. You had that situation happen with Greg Hardy, who's now, he had all of this domestic violence shit come up with him. Proved that he was an asshole over time. Got released by the Carolina Panthers. What does he do? Over time, he manages to make it back to the Dallas Cowboys. Biggest stage in sports. And he just does it all over again. The NFL did not learn its lesson. He should not have been in the league. But he comes back. He proves to be an asshole. He almost fights a damn near 80-year-old coach on the sideline during the Thanksgiving primetime game. And he gets kicked out of the league and gets to move right on to the UFC, who care probably the least about any shit that their athletes do. Just don't murder somebody. Please don't murder somebody. And we're all good. The NFL has a problem. Sports has a problem. Things are starting to progress a little bit with more major roles for women within the organizations, within the coaching staffs on sidelines. You see Becky Hammond getting the closest that any woman has gotten to getting a head coach's job in the NBA. Hopefully she still will get one. Wizards, there's a spot. You have more women coaching in the NFL than ever. The WNBA's popularity is beginning to spike with the help of plenty of NBA players, rappers who are investing into the league because these women are fucking awesome. They're beasts. You look at the U.S. women's national team continuing to fight for equality, even though they are the very best in the world at their sport of soccer. They kick the men's asses every year when it comes to events. And they still can't be treated like the stars that they are. You've got problems everywhere, but hopefully there is progress. Hopefully... The Washington Demon Cats can become an example. It's time for Tom Brady talk. And thankfully, with no theme song, because that asshole has everything else. He does not need a theme song from me. You're not getting a theme song, Tom. Not this time. Not this show. Anywho, I regret to inform all of my family and friends and Reddit and whoever else that I am unfortunately starting to like Tom Brady. And I think that actually makes me hate him even more. His personality has been coming out more and more ever since leaving New England and going to Tampa Bay. And I wasn't really feeling it. 
I could still hate him. He's got a punchable face. He looks like a douche. He talks like a douche. He must be a douche. But the real reasoning behind me starting to like Tom Brady, it comes from this quote and appearance by Brady portraying whitest man in the room on the LeBron James talk show, The Shop, courtesy of HBO. There was a story in free agency. One of the teams, they were interested, and all of a sudden, they weren't interested at the very end. I was sitting there thinking, you're sticking with that motherfucker? Are you serious? <laughs> Tom probably had no desire to go to that team, but now it's like, why don't you want me? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Sure. When I look back, I'm like, there's no fucking way I would have went to that team. <laughs> but they said they didn't want me, and I know what that means. I know what that feels like, and I'm going to fuck you up because of that. Well... That escalated quickly. Since that appearance on the shop, there's been a constant hunt across Twitter and the web in general for that motherfucker. Who could it be that Tom Brady's talking about? Who? It had to be Jimmy Garoppolo of the San Francisco 49ers. That handsome asshole. That motherfucker. It could be Derek Carr of the Raiders. Could be Mitchell Trubisky, of formerly of the Bears. In the time since, all of these quarterbacks have come out in some fashion to, to, to alert the media. No, I am not that motherfucker. And it's really hilarious every single time. But that's not the whole point of this thing. The reason that I'm starting to like Brady and stemming from that quote is his personality. He's a quarterback. These guys never show any type of personality. They're always throwing out the same boring cliches. I gave it 110%. We can't look past this team. It's one game at a time. There are no easy games in this league. No. Ever since Tom Brady left New England, He's not doing that. He got away from Belichick. He's come to Tampa Bay. He's having fun with Gronk, taking tequila shots, saying all the shit that you want a quarterback to actually say. This is why guys like Baker Mayfield and Johnny Manziel, Cam Newton are so exciting to see and everybody really loves them because they're going to give you their actual thoughts and not play the quarterback PR game. Brady is finally starting to embrace that. Of course, he's older. He's going to retire soon. God, I hope. But I can't help but like and appreciate it. It makes me actually want to kind of root for him in the Buccaneers. It made me almost want to root for them in the Super Bowl until I remembered those motherfuckers stole the entire Super Bowl and the season from my Washington football team, they wanted to steal the MVP from Taylor Heineke because nobody was ready. They had to start to give it to that safe Tom Brady. <sighs> he sucks. Okay, I'm back. Tom Brady sucks. We're all good. Crisis avoided. That's your Tom Brady talk. All right, so happy to report with soccer news. I have been to my first professional soccer game. Went to check out DC United last week, playing at Audi Field. 
beautiful stadium, awesome view, fun team. Granted, the majority of their stars were not there. They were out abroad getting ready for the Olympics. But they didn't need them because they're D.C., DMV, born and bred, came out, beat Liga, or Liga, probably Liga, 1-0, and all they needed was the greatest soccer player in the world. His name is Griffin Yao, or as he'll now be known, Griffin Yao. How can you not love a player with that last name? Anytime you talk about him, you can just go, Yow! Who's your favorite player? Oh, just Griffin. Yow! Anywho, he came out there, and this is all my soccer expertise coming to you right now. He came out, ran, kicked the ball, did some moves, put the team on his back, I think, scored, we win. We ran out the clock, but we won. All thanks to Yao. Griffin Yao is an American hero. Christian Pulisic, don't need him. We got Griffin Yao. David Beckham, I don't know him. It's all about Yao. So shout out to you, Griffin Yao. You're the 323's new favorite soccer player. Yao. My apologies go out to reddit user Betty Slow who came to me with some feedback and some ideas for the show one particular that I have not been able to get to until this moment this is what this show was built for it's taking down minor league baseball particularly our hometown team the Fred Nats Now, we don't want to take them down. You got to love them. You got to support them. They're fun. They're awesome. But they are the minor league team, one of the minor league teams for the Washington Nationals. And they're called the Fred Nats. Just the Nats. I mean, when you have other minor league baseball teams with names like the Albuquerque Isotopes or the Lee Valley Iron Pigs, the Montgomery Biscuits. Even down 95, you got the Richmond Flying Squirrels. And all you get after leaving your city to decide on your team name is Fred Nats. Just Fredericksburg Nationals. Now, I would say a majority of people aren't fans of the name. It's boring compared to so many other opportunities that you had. But a representative for the Fred Nats told me that it was the number one voted on name in the contest. Second place was the Cannons. But still, still, we couldn't do better, Fredericksburg. People call us boring all the time. Not people from outside the place, but people inside the town call it boring all the time we couldn't do better we couldn't get something creative betty slow themselves said in the comment and i don't think anybody could say it better the name fred nats is horabad 
and lacks any creativity. Make fun of it. Push to change it. Say we hate it. Make fun of it some more. Fred Nats. Fred is a weird name and nobody likes Nats. Come on. Richmond has the flying squirrels while we get Nats. Fred Nats. Fred Nuts. Fried Nuts. Fred Nats. Just a terrible name. You tell him, Betty Slow. Betty Slow is right. Fred Nats is a stupid name. I'm sorry to the owner of the team. I'm sorry to the team. I'm sorry to the representatives that I know. That's a dumb name, man. It's so boring. It really didn't even fit when the team started their entire franchise history just a couple months ago at 0-15. Oh 0-15. Oh you need a name like Montgomery Biscuits or Flying Squirrels to go 0-15, oh almost reaching the record. We couldn't even do that right. Almost got the record, which I think was set like in the 60s of 0-17 oh to start your entire franchise. We couldn't even do that right. We had to win a game. So, fan base of the 323, I'm leaving it up to you. I'm putting the work in your hands. Let us come up with a better name for this team. We're going to get the Fred Nats attention. We're going to get a more creative name to lose with now that we're at 19 and 41. Some suggestions that we've already gotten the Fredericksburg Fruit Bats. Cool. The Fredericksburg Frijoles. The Fredericksburg Griffins. Shout out to Griffin Wolbert. Or Yow. We got the Fredericksburg Flames. We have the Fredericksburg Fuego. The Fred Fireballs. Betty Slow says the Fred Nuts. And the Fredericksburg Beaver Ankles. Ray Ray. Explain yourself. Beaver ankles? How can our innocent minds process that, Ray Ray? Shame on you, Ray Ray. 323 community. Come to the Twitter at 323read. Go to the Facebook page, the 323 with Reed Murphy. Text me if you know me. DM me. We need more names. We need better names. Fred Nats, hit me up. Let's talk about this. Explain to me why this is the best name for this team. I don't know why today I decided to just go after these particular events, but this is what I want. I want to pick a fight with the Fred Nats and celebrate Griffin. Yow! That was off. I blame the Fred Nats. Not you, Griffin. Yow! So come to me with better names. We can do better than Fred Nats fried nuts. Fred Nats. Okay, world, I think it's time that I introduce you to maybe my favorite athlete in the world and arguably the most unintentionally selfish athlete in all of the history of American sports. His name is Nick Castellanos. He's a right fielder for the Cincinnati Reds of Major League Baseball. 
He likes to argue with umpires, talk shit to other players after hitting home runs. Very entertaining. Pretty cool dude who also has a unique knack for interrupting already uncomfortable broadcast moments, specifically during Kansas during games against the Kansas City Royals. The first and most famous came during an on-air apology by Fox Sports Ohio play-by-play broadcaster Tom Brenneman after Brenneman made a homophobic slur on a hot mic. Let's turn it over to Tom. I made a comment earlier tonight that uh, I guess uh, went out over the year that I am deeply ashamed of. Uh, If I have hurt anyone out there, I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith, as there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4-0 ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. I don't know if it's going to be for the Reds. I don't know if it's going to be for my bosses at Fox. I want to apologize for the people who signed my paycheck. So that was over a year ago. It's wonderful. You got to love it. I have no idea of where Tom Brenneman is today. Frankly, don't care. Bye, Tom. But I bet you can guess where Nick Castellanos was just a little over a week ago. He was playing the Kansas City Royals after the death of a longtime Royals employee. Guys, over to you. Well, we're going to tell you about a great man. And it's a loss for the Royals family. This is George Gorman, who passed away at the age of 96. He served our country in World War II. He went to the University of Kansas, and so did his son, Pat Gorman, who's been working for the Royals in the clubhouse for 26 years. Wow. And that was Pat's father. Well, that's a great life, 96 years. And Pat, just like his dad, went to KU. He also went to Bishop Ward High School. There's a drive into deep left center field, and there's never a great time to eulogize someone during the broadcast, so we apologize for the timing. But our hearts go out to Pat, who's just been a tremendous loyal employee to the Royals for 26 years and his wife Katie so yeah that's pretty remarkable this is somehow made me an incredible Cincinnati Reds fan specifically for Nick Castellanos I mean you gotta love somebody who can just interrupt any type of broadcast up as there's a drive into deep left field by Castellanos that'll be a home run how the hell did that son of a bitch get me? Oh. I didn't realize the mic. Who left the mic on? Um, I would just like to apologize to Nick Castellanos. I should not have called him a son of a bitch. 
I would like to apologize to Nick, to his mother, who is not a bitch, but a wonderful woman. As there's a drive into deep left field by Castellanos. And that'll be another home run. How the hell does he get up so quickly? Well, folks, we're a couple weeks late, but it's honestly never too late to celebrate my favorite day in all of sports. Yes, folks, I'm talking about Bobby Bonilla Day. If you don't know what this very special day is about, I'm going to tell you all in this week's edition of the Top 5. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the 323's Top 5. Ah, shit. Here we go again. That's right. It's time for the Top 5. This week's edition of the Top 5 is the Top 5 Greatest Money Hustlers in Sports History all presented to you by our Patreon supporters. That includes Zelda Johnson. That includes Anthony Martinez. That includes Scott Elia, whose nice name I finally got down. Shout out to Scott Elia. 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 We're going to kick it off this week here at number five. It's the one and only backup quarterback of a generation, Matt Flynn. For those of you that don't know, Matt Flynn was a backup quarterback for the Green Bay Packers here in the early 2020s, 2010s. We'll call them 2020s. Flynn had a knack for having just the most ideal crazy, stat-filled, record-breaking games as a backup quarterback coming in for Aaron Rodgers on a couple of injured occasions. Matt Flynn managed to take those incredible games off the bench and turn them into a massive contract with the Seattle Seahawks. However, as he was about to become the Seahawks' new franchise quarterback, they happened to draft a rookie in the mid-rounds of the 2012 NFL Draft. His name was Russell Wilson. Wilson came in, immediately showed how great he was, and took the starting job from Flynn before he could even taste it. Flynn only lasted one year in Seattle before being traded to the Oakland Raiders. He also lost that job to Terrell Pryor. Lasted one year there, got booted, had a couple other backup stints, and then ended up back in Green Bay, backing up Aaron Rodgers, where he did it again. He came in, had a crazy couple of games, and this time got a nice little contract from the Packers to stay. Went on to keep having some more backup jobs across the NFL and made himself a pretty good chunk of change. That's the pretty much tail of the tape with a lot of NFL backup quarterbacks. Best job in sports. Alright, number four, another NFL quarterback. His name is Sam Bradford. Yow. I like that fanfare better. Sam Bradford is the 
entire reason that NFL rookie contracts are the way they are now. Before, they used to be able to negotiate whatever they could get. Now, it's a very set amount. You're pretty much getting the somewhere mid-average of the starters of your position across the league for your first four years in that deal. Sam Bradford, coming in as the number one overall pick from USC to the St. Louis Rams, managed to get $80 million on his rookie contract. The most that he earned from that was in his rookie year. From that point on, he was on and off injured. Didn't really ever live up play-wise after that rookie season. Got traded to the Eagles, who still had to burn some of that money along with the Rams. And all in total, through that position with the Eagles other starting jobs with the Vikings, chances elsewhere, Sam Bradford earned $180 million for only playing about a little over 50% of his entire time in the league. Shout out to that hustler. Number three comes from DC. It's Gilbert Arenas. Yow. You gotta love Gilbert. He was like Steph Curry before Curry. And he did it for the Wizards. However, Gilbert, for as much much excitement as he could generate, never took the Wizards to the promised land. But he showed that he had promise. That led the Wizards to signing him to a six-year, $111 million deal after a season where he only played 13 games. As soon as he got that contract, Gilbert proceeded to only play two games the following year. After that, he had one good start to a season. He was looking great. It was looking like that contract might finally pay off. And then, boom, it turned into the Wild West in the locker room. Gilbert was having some issues with a teammate and decided to pop his guns out right there in the locker room. Got a nice gold plate at one, put two down on the bench, told that teammate, you pick one and I'll take the other. And we're going to settle this right here. It fucked Gilbert's image up for the rest of his tenure in Washington. He did not stay much longer. They kind of ate that contract, let him go. He had some stints elsewhere, but he never really recovered. He even had an incident with some illegal fireworks. It was a whole thing. But he's always going to be memorable. He'll always be Agent Zero. Gotta love Gilbert. You just hate how much they paid him. Number two on this list is somebody I mentioned earlier. Connor McGregor. Yeah. Connor McGregor. The notorious Conor McGregor made $180 million in 2020. Now, a lot of this stems from his whiskey deal. A great endorsement for him. And he's still one of the biggest money makers in the UFC. He may always has a massive draw for his fights. 
A lot of this comes from his boxing match with Floyd Mayweather, which was one of the biggest events in boxing recent history. Honestly, you could really say it's one of the biggest events in boxing history. For as much of an exhibition as it really kind of was. But with McGregor not having won a fight since 2016, he is still one of the craziest draws. He's still finessing money from UFC fans. You never know if he's going to be the same, and especially after this most recent fight with Dustin Poirier. But you gotta respect the hustle. He's always gonna get that money. He's always gonna draw you in. That's why he's the notorious Conor McGregor. Finally, number one, the man of the hour. The one, the only, Bobby Bonilla. Yow. That's right, Bobby Bonilla gets double fanfare. We're gonna give him a third. Hell yeah. John from Bridesburg, what do you think? Yeah, Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla Day, every July 1st, and it will be every July 1st until 2035. For those that don't know, Bobby Bonilla, nicknamed the Silver Slugger, was signed by the New York Mets, a five-year, $29 million deal back in 1993. It did not go well. Coming from Pittsburgh, he was heralded, but getting to New York, you know, it happens with a lot of athletes. You get the money, production just kind of falls off. Clashed a lot with management, team reporters, even sat out of Game 6 of the 1999 National League Championship Series. After that, Mets finally let him go. But that's where the hustle started. The Mets owed Bonilla $5.9 million, but they didn't want to pay him. This was going to turn into a massive legal fight, so Bonilla's agent set up the greatest deal in sports history, where the Mets could defer Bonilla's payment until 2011. From 1999 to 2011, they don't have to pay him shit. Defer the payments until 2011, but you'll have to pay an 8% annual interest. So now, this began in 2011, Bobby Bonilla receives $1.19 million every year from 2011 to 2035 for a total of $29.8 million. The Mets 24-year pay period is six times as long as Bonilla's four-year tenure with the team. It's one of the most incredible, ridiculous things I've ever heard. Excellent finessing by Bonilla and his agent. You never really have to have money problems because you're going to get that $1.19 million every July 1st. Who knows how he spends it? Doesn't matter. You're getting another $1.19 million next year. Shout out to Bobby Bonilla. Happy Bobby Bonilla Day, everybody. Get your hustle on. Stay strong. That is your top five. All right, everybody, that is another edition of the 323. John from Bridesburg, can you please tell everybody what they can do? Hit like and subscribe! That's right, rate, like, and subscribe. 
to the 323 with Reed Murphy on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you can find your podcasts. And you can find us on social media. Go to Facebook, the 323 with Reed Murphy, or find us on Twitter at 323read, R-E-I-D. You can do the same thing by subscribing to us on Patreon, helping this show to continue to grow and get better. What else, John? The Rider's coming! Damn right he is. And finally this week, everybody, we're going to try something a little different. Here at the end of the show now, in honor of the great John Stewart and his time on The Daily Show, where he always had the tradition of the moment of Zen to close out his show and give everybody a little something positive to end the night on. We're going to try to do the same thing here at the 323. That always that always was an inspiring moment to me and something I've always loved and wanted to do for everybody else. Is the whole point of this is trying to entertain and inspire and make people feel better. So we're going to try to end each show on a high note. In this week's edition of Ending on a High Note, we're going to go with the theme of the 2021 ESPY Awards, which just had their 2021 ceremony this past Sunday night. And we're going to go all the way back to the 1993 show where the great Jim Valvano, Jimmy V, one of college basketball's greatest coaches, had his most successful tenure at NC State. At the 1993 ESPYs, he gave an incredibly powerful speech one where he announced the formation of the V Foundation for Cancer Research. And in doing this inspiring speech and giving all of this uplifting motivation to the world, he was two months away from passing away. Terminally ill with cancer and still gave one of the most memorable award show speeches of all time. So this little clip right here is one of my favorite pieces of a speech. Words that I carry with me to this day and words I think everybody could really use and live by. So here we go, folks, to end the show on a high note. This is Jim Valvano's 1993 SB speech. Just a brief clip. We'll post the whole thing on the Facebook page and Twitter. In the meantime, stay safe, everybody. Thank you for listening. Jim, take it away. And, and when people say to me, how do you get through uh, life or, or each day is the same thing? To me, there are three things we all should do every day. We do this every day of our life. You're going to have, what a wonderful, number one is laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is think. You should spend some time in thought. And number three is you should have your emotions moved to tears could be happiness or joy. But think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. And so...